Hi, welcome to your Skogans, the International Law Podcast. Uh, this is episode 20. Today we are discussing the Taganda case at the International Criminal Court, uh, where Bosco Taganda, former militia leader in the Democratic Republic of Congo, has been found guilty uh, by the ICC of war crimes and crimes against humanity, specifically in the Aturi region of DRC in 2002 and 2003. Uh, Taganda was the first person to be convicted of sexual slavery by the ICC and overall the fourth person the court has convicted since its creation in 2002. Uh, the case is currently in appeal, whose judgment will be announced today uh, on 30th March, later uh, this uh, evening, uh, a few hours after this podcast is released. Our guest today is Dr. Agnishka Yahachnil, uh, who has submitted an amicus curiae brief to the court in 2020, uh, making certain observations regarding the meaning of the term attack and issues associated with it. Uh, Dr. Neil is an expert researcher and lecturer at the University of Exeter, uh, Dr. Uh, Neil has over five years of experience uh, working in field missions in Southeastern Europe, where she specialized in monitoring domestic war crime uh, trials and in enforcement of human rights standards in emerging democracies. Uh, her expertise uh, lies in the areas of law of armed conflict, especially conduct of hostilities, uh, military targeting doctrine, and its relationship with international law. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Neil, for joining us on the podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you today. Thank you very much for having me. Um, I'm happy to, um, you know, to discuss the case um, and looking forward to um, seeing what the court um, judgment tomorrow will be. Yeah, thank you for you know agreeing to do this on a very short notice. I realize this is uh, just a couple of days, and I'm very grateful that you found the time to you know join me. Uh, so just to get the discussion going, can you tell a bit about the Taganda case? Uh, what's it about and you know where its proceedings have uh, progressed in the past few years. Give us an overview of the case in general. Okay, uh, so um, Bosco Mataganda um, is a um, Congolese by nationality, but um, was born in Rwanda. And he has taken part in various um, organizations during his career as a military commander and uh, lately he's been um, accused for the participation in various um, uh, well accused and uh, uh, sentenced now um, for participation in various um, acts um, uh, that amount to international crimes different types of international crimes as a part of his involvement in patriotic Forces of for the liberation of Congo. Uh, this is um, this relates to his participation in those forces during in on the territory of Ituri region, as you mentioned, in the period between 2012 and uh, sorry 2002 and three, as far as I remember, uh, he has um, uh, surrendered himself to the court in 2013, uh, after a couple of arrest warrants were previously issued against him. Um, the trial uh, started in 2015, in September 2015. And um, I'm reading because I'm, I wasn't aware, but uh, it's close to 250 hearings took place and over 2000 um, victims were listed as a part of um, the proceedings. Um, and after three years um, um, uh, of proceedings, closing statements uh, took place in 2018. 
um, and the judgment and sentencing judgment were both issued in uh, autumn of 2019. The case is currently on appeal because both the defense and the prosecutor um, um, put forward the appeal. Um, and uh, so we are waiting um, uh, judgment on appeal in regards to this um, individual. Um, where my brief comes in, and not only mine, but several other experts who applied um, and were invited to submit amicus curiae briefs was um, during the appeal proceedings after the prosecution um, put forward their appeal. Uh, the court has uh, invited publicly, um, public if you like, uh, to submit um, interest, uh, um, declaration of interest for anyone who would like to reflect on specific issues that relate to the substance of the case and particularly substance of the appeal uh, to express their um, opinions and following the procedure, a number of uh, individuals were invited or organizations were invited to put forward the amicus curia briefs. And uh, I was one of them. Um, and so, uh, yes, that's where we are. So in the in the way the court sought extra advice from the public or public, uh, let's say maybe more learned experts in the area to be able to reflect and have a more informed decision to take, which I think was a very uh, welcome step from the court. Right, thank you for that uh, overview. Uh, so I read your amicus curiae brief and, you know, it talks about, you know, the meaning of the term attack and its associated context. Uh, so how do you understand the term attack in international law and specifically in international humanitarian law? What is an attack? Okay, so um, the court has specifically asked for a reference to which relates to the charges uh, that involve war crimes. What this means is we need to distinguish the nation and the notion of attack from um, the way it's used to um, denominate a specific um, military operation during armed um, conflict to an, another meaning of a word attack, which is used um, generally in the use of force, uh, which means simply attacking one state by another or non-state actor and so on and so forth doesn't so what i'm saying is the notion of attack has two meanings one which is very specific to uh, the prosecution of hostilities during armed conflict and that the meaning was at the heart of the appeal and the court's question and so accordingly um in um, 1977, as a part of additional protocols to Geneva Convention, um, Article 48 has been negotiated that contains a definition that is widely used uh, to uh, um, the, uh, elaborate of what the meaning of attack of the word attack is, and that involves comprises acts of violence against adversary whether in offense or defense. Um, and um, so consequently, the 
meaning of the term requires that the attack must take place against adversary. Um, and the, the meaning of adversary is broadly perceived to include not just human beings, but also military objects, um, uh, sorry, military objectives, which could be physical objects um, as a part of the military infrastructure. Right. So uh, what are the key components of an attack that you have, uh, you know, studied and uh, described in this brief? And how is it uh, differentiated from other terms, terms that you have mentioned, like hostilities uh, and military operations? How are they all connected? Uh, and what are the key, uh, you know, uh, things that we need to look for when we're thinking of an attack? So attack as such as the very heart is the notion of um, act of violence. What does it mean? Well, it's, an, it's a specific type of military operation that requires uh, employment of kinetic force. Sometimes there is no um, actual kinetic force being employed, especially if we look at the debate about the meaning of attack during cyber warfare. Yeah. But what we all agree that even in that case, there have to be some sort of violent consequences of that use of force and usually resulting in damage or destruction of the um, either functionality of the, um, the, the target or, or, well, their functioning or them being alive if we we're talking about human targets. And so there has to be there has to be some sort of physical damage um, that will become a consequence of that use of force or lack of use of force, but a violent consequence uh, to constitute attack. Attack in the broadest attack is a type of military operation. So military operation uh, uh, would uh, be a it's not a legal term of art, unlike attack, because it's not defined in the law of armed conflict or international humanitarian law, um, but it's a operational notion. Through looking various uh, at the various negotiating, negotiating records for the additional protocol one, we can infer that um, military operations are defined as movement of attack or defense by armed forces. So it's a quite broad category, um, uh, or it seems like a broad category, but what it means is that for the purposes of uh, delineation it with attack, it might in involve the term uh, things like intelligence gathering uh, or a support or enabling of prosecution of movement of the armed forces, uh, which don't involve use of kinetic um, force against adversaries. So it's a broader um, yeah, a notion to um, attack. Hostilities in this context, again, hostilities are not defined in the law. So it's more operational um, notion that we use among the legal experts, but also practitioners as such. But what it means um, is um, it defines um, hostile or threatening activity against the adversary um, in all forms, so long they somehow link to prosecution of military operations. 
in other words, for instance, uh, there could be um, acts of violence which are not related to um, prosecution of armed force, uh, um, uh, military operations. For example, um, two members of military forces fight each other in a bar, uh, totally unrelated to prosecution of um, military operations. However, there is abuse of violence between them, but this will not count towards our meaning of military operations or hostilities as such. So um, um, we have to remember that in terms of hostilities, it's a broader, again, category to attack, um, involves prosecution of war, of the of armed conflict as such. Uh, I, I would define it because, again, number of experts place these notions, military operations and hostilities in sort of different lines, slightly different lines. We all more or less agree where they sit, uh, but um, to me personally, hostilities is probably the um, broader notion, but very much related to prosecution of war, whereas military operation can include uh, not related to wartime prosecutions like training of military forces as well, perhaps a movement of military forces, not necessarily guided by the prosecution of war. And then within that category, attack sits as a specific um, uh, tactical operation, I would say, maybe tactical, sometimes operational, depending on where, what attack is. But as I said, attack is different because it's actually defined by the law as well. So we know where we stand with that. Right. You, you mentioned the definition of an attack uh, under the additional protocol of the Geneva Convention, the, the first one, in terms of uh, as defined as an act of violence against an adversary. So does an adversary also include uh, civilians? Um, yes, it can. Uh, because again, adversary is not a legal term. Um, it doesn't come with any specific legal meaning. Adversary could include civilians, civilians of, if you like, enemy. Uh, however, we do know that they are um, protected in most of circumstances against um, attack, if you like. So uh, civilians per se, due to operation of uh, principle of distinction in the law of armed conflict will be protected from attack unless they take direct part in hostilities. And that's a totally different definition what that means. Um, but uh, adversary can mean uh, individuals in, and persons and that can in, involve if it's seen broadly, civilians too, but there are protective rules in right. place to protect right. civilians. Yes. So my next question would be, you know, does the notion or meaning of an attack change uh, depending on the nature of the object against which it is uh, being uh, done? And no. In short, it shouldn't. There is one definition that uh, applies uh, to uh, whichever target you will um, uh, like to attack, if you like. So uh, what changes is, is how 
or th there is a difference is how persons as opposed to physical objects are defined as lawful targets in the law. There are different uh, guidance we have for um, what constitutes a military objective, which is referring to physical objects or what will cause a civilian to lose their immunity based on their involvement in armed conflict, which is then at this point, we would need to ascertain their direct participation in armed conflict or in non-international conflicts. This also involves certain level of membership in um, organizing group, so on and so forth. So there are different rules that would define that. But bottom line is um, attack, when we're talking about attacking someone, um, there will be certain additional rules uh, to ascertain uh, precautions in attack, uh, uh, how the attack is going to be undertaken, uh, the proportionality, proportionality rule, the choice of weapons, the choice of time of attack. This is all technical, if you like, um, uh, application of the legal norms in preparation to attack, but the very notion of attack stays the same. It has to be intentional use of force that will lead to violent um, consequences to the target. Right, that makes a lot of sense as in the, the status of the object does not change the meaning of uh, attack itself. Uh, so uh, you also talked about the term destruction being an operational uh, word which is not defined in IHL as such. So how do you understand the term destruction as, uh, as different from an attack? Um, so some situations are, that involve destruction uh, specifically of property, private or public property, are actually regulated, in fact prohibited, unless certain um, conditions are satisfied in um, conflict. But the term itself, again, is not uh, very much, it's not uh, a legal term of art, it's not defined by the law. And so what the destruction um, involves um, uh, in common parlance, it would um, be defined as involving an act of violence that renders an object um, no longer usable or um, that cannot be repaired to the point um, that um, we would we, we are unable to restore its primary function. For me, again, because it, it, we can argue what it means, for me, uh, it would, destruction itself, uh, it, it leads to total inability of, the, or, uh, of restoring or enabling that um, object or property to function again in the previous intended fa function for it. Uh, damage is the word that I would use to describe perhaps a partial damage where the, there is some scope or possibility to bring back that function after repair. So damage is not perhaps extensive or not always totally irre irreparable to the object. Um, and that, that would be my, my definition, if you like, or understanding of, the, of these terms. Okay. 
what what about pillage? Does pillage and other uh, similar acts of you know plunder and looting does that constitute an attack? So um, pillage, um, it's it's very different meaning to um, I would say um, um, attack or damage. Uh, pillage, which we use also interchangeably with the word plunder, um, involves a activity that in, involves appropriation of the property. So seizing of kind of property, which as a part of that seizing and taking control over it, some damage or destruction can occur. Yes. But in its sense, in its very sort of uh, defining moment, uh, it's, um, it's taking over certain property for private or personal use that will amount to pillage. So it's, it's in the very sense, it's very different notion to attack. Attack is intentional activity directed at either destruction of the um, of the uh, target or their damage or they're taking control over it with looting is or spoliation um, it's the unlawful appropriation of of a property so you need to seize it in some ways you need to take control over it and what happens afterwards whether you destroy it you use it you abuse it you um leave it totally in the same condition as before that happens after the act of pillage or or as a part of act of pillage but it's not like the destruction or damage is um intended in the same way as with attack right so so this uh, criteria of you know uh, pillage not intended to harm the adversary but rather than you know benefiting uh, the private uh, usage and consumption of those who are undertaking it. Uh, does this uh, find any, uh, you know, uh, evidence in customary law or treaty law? Well, the, the notion of pillage and plunder is actually quite developed um, and has a long-standing um, background in understanding uh, uh, already developed by International Criminal Tribunal for former Yugoslavia. We have several, several non-conflicting, quite clear um, references in the case law or what it means. Um, and so um, the question that the court has asked, I think, in reference to, to the inquiry uh, from the appeal was whether pillage can be considered as a type of attack. Um, and so I would say, and I, that's what I did say to the court, my best opinion, pillage cannot be defined the same way as attack. Elements of use of force or violence that leads to damage of the property might be present during looting or plunder or pillage, however you uh, name it, but um, it's very much different uh, action. There is no preparation to attack, such as you don't choose your weapons to the same extent, you don't gather intelligence to the same extent. The whole notion of undertaking attack is entirely different military operation. And so 
even more so in very structured, well-trained military forces, state forces, perhaps as opposed to non-state actor um, organized armed groups forces, where uh, there might be some blurring of whether they want to um, undertake an operation as a part of that operation, they undertake also uh, pillage. Um, but the preparation to what's broadly understood as attack, during attack, pillage can occur. Pillage is not the same as attack itself. Right. I would distinguish these two. You know, what I was, uh, you know, thinking, I was just uh, uh, that perhaps, you know, pillage may be conducted theoretically with the intention of harming the adversary. Uh, but but as, as you said, you know, it, it is, it, it, it can fall within an attack. It might, it might not be a type of an attack. Um, yeah, that, yeah. That, 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 that's, uh, that's, uh, that makes things very clear. And I guess this entire discussion on the meaning of an attack and different terms that uh, you have uh, talked about, I think it, it, it makes for a very clear reading of how the court should interpret these uh, different uh, terminologies. Um, in terms of the case, uh, given that the you know, final judgment on appeals is coming out uh, uh, tomorrow uh, or today, uh, you know, depending on when this podcast goes out, um, how, do, how do you see that panning out? Uh, it's tough call to say because court has put themselves in a rather precarious situation with this question. I appreciate court seeking uh, advice for experts on the meaning of um, attack and what has been um, appealed by both sides uh, in the proceedings. But what has happened was that um, couple of years back, two or three years now, I suppose, in another case, Ahmadi case, the court has applied the same article that is now being proposed to be applied by uh, the prosecutor in the Nataganda case as a form of war crimes uh, to be applied um, in the appealed to uh, operations, uh, one involving seemingly looting of military, of uh, medical um, um, items, and the other one involving um, taking control of a church. The same article, which involves attack on protected objects, to be applied um, in the Taganda case was applied to the destruction of property, cultural property in uh, Mali um, in the Ahmadi case. The court there used the same article to sentence Mr. Ahmadi uh, for commission of war crimes of attacking the cultural uh, property and destroying it as a part of the Ansardine ideology against the uh, local population beliefs and so on and so forth. Um, that somehow has not been criticized enough, um, but what it does is sets a precedent for the court precedent which has been mentioned by the prosecution in the appeal brief, the, that the suggestion that the court should rely on that 
judgment on that finding because it's already there as a precedent um, and expand in Nataganda case even more the number of uh, situation in which this particular war crime as defined as, as attack against protected um, uh, object could be applied. This would set a very, very dangerous situation for uh, um, both practitioners, military forces, uh, states, um, and the legal experts, because this really leads to fundamental changing of the notion of attack, as we know, and as military forces apply in the training of their uh, members of armed forces and for um, uh, planning of the operations which are regarded as entirely lawful so far, which suddenly maybe turn and have a criminal sanction if the court finds it as a war crime in this case. So it will not only lead to further fragmentation between international criminal law and um, international humanitarian law on the point of meaning, practical meaning, but also legal meaning, because as I said, this is absolutely vital. We do have a definition of what attack is in the law, unlike with other terms. And so the, the interpretation will lead to further fragmentation and separation of the directions on that one issue, absolutely vital issue for operations of military um, armed forces everywhere in the world. Not only that, this meaning of attack is customary in nature and is applicable to non-international armed conflicts. So the pre prevalence of non-international conflicts in the world, this will be setting very dangerous um, disparity of what um, armed forces uh, known and practice uh, without major problems um, in uh, in the global in, in you know in various um, uh, armed conflicts and to what uh, the International Criminal Court may regard as a war crime. So they might start refraining from planning certain operations. They might need to restructure the training of the armed forces. They might look and take a position. Perhaps states will be forced um, to take more active position on reflecting whether they agree, because after all, court uh, case law, whether we like it or not, could be advisory for the purposes of our understanding of laws of armed conflict, but laws of armed conflict or international humanitarian law, as agreed by the state, will be uh, uh, the one that will proceed. States might not notice the change in the law to that extent, um, and maybe they will get caught in, in not seeing that perhaps the court has put such a different meaning to what is a criminal sanction for certain previously absolutely lawfully uh, undertaken military operations. Don't know, but the, the, from my perspective, I can see profound consequences, both in legal and operational terms, if the court 
decides to continue with the president from Ahmadi case. If the court takes different side and sort of listens to all the amicus, uh, uh, listens to the arguments, which I think pretty much are quite consistent. I mean, obviously we all legal experts, so we tend to disagree on certain things, but and there is there's a majority, I think, of the arguments were consistent to my view, or my view was consistent with theirs. Um, but what then it will create a situation for the court that they already have a judgment in one case against one individual, which might seem unjust now if they find for another resolution based on the same article, same war crime in the Nataganda case. Right. And maybe right. the defense will have to revisit, of Mr. Ahmadi, revisit the final sentence on uh, in Ahmadi case. Yeah, so I, I guess uh, what you're saying is the stakes are very high. Uh, and, uh, you know, we will we'll see and time will tell what implications uh, this case has for the future of uh, war crime prosecutions, uh, international criminal responsibility, and international criminal law as a whole. Uh, so we'll find out uh, tomorrow, uh, and time will tell how that uh, pans out. And yeah, uh, it was a very enjoyable discussion with uh, Dr. Agnishka. Uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, I absolutely enjoyed it. Uh, hopefully the audience would uh, find this discussion very useful. Uh, okay. So yeah, see you in the next episode. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Agnishka, for joining us uh, on the podcast. Thank you very much. It was an absolute pleasure. And gosh, fingers crossed the court will resolve this one uh, in, a, in a sensible manner <laughs> for all of us' sake. Yeah, let's, let's hope so.